Listener supported. WNYC Studios. Before we start this episode of the Orbiting Human Circus and Naughty Till New Year's, we wanted to let you know that in 2021, as soon as it becomes possible and safe, we'll be bringing live performances and events to you, featuring new stories of the Orbiting Human Circus, live games, and the music of the Orbiting Quartet and the music tapes. If you've ever seen the show live, you know it's the best and most exciting way to experience the Orbiting Human Circus. So take a moment to join our mailing list at orbitinghumancircus.com or follow us on social media. We hope to perform all over the world and hopefully somewhere near you. And if you'd like, you can email podcast at orbitinghumancircus.com and tell us where you are. We hope to see you soon. A co-presentation of WNYC Studios and Night Vale Presents. You are listening to the Orbiting Human Circus of the Air. It is nearly sunrise. Our janitor is in his cot, sleeping deeply and peacefully, when suddenly he is awakened. He's been bitten by something, and that something is crawling up his chest. Stop biting me. Oh, how about an impression, then? No. Just a little one. Come on. The janitor! He has smashed up the ticket booth. He has left the light on. He has left the door wide open. The ticket with clerk will report to my bosses. My life, it is over. I guess my children will go hungry. Chanel, you thought the janitor was gentle. You thought he was good, a kind person, but no. The janitor has a heart as cold as ice. It is a hard, cruel world, Chanel. And he is a cold, hard janitor. And the janitor suddenly remembers the state he left the ticket booth in. Mr. Janitor, no one's seen it. They ain't here yet. They report in ten minutes. Go, go, go! The janitor leaps up, dresses madly, and flies out of the room. He runs down the stairs as fast as he can. And, reaching the ticket booth, he finds it just as he left it. The door is wide open, and the smashed remnants of the locker are everywhere. But it's clear that no one has been here yet. I can do this. The janitor runs inside. He cleans madly, brilliantly, places the locker door back on its hinges, hides the broken lock, and stashes the cinder block behind the booth where it came from. The booth is sparkling now. He just has to lock it up and go, but he's not leaving. He's looking for something. What are you doing? You've got to get out of there. It's over here. It's the flea. He's perched on a piece of paper hung on the wall. It's a list of employees' names and addresses. And the janitor stares at one. And he locks eyes with the flea. And the flea looks up at him, nodding its tiny head, yes. And all at once, the janitor turns around and exits the ticket booth. Wait a minute. You're not thinking of going beyond the girders. You can't. I can't do it for myself. Of course you can't. You I can do it for Coco. I see. He strides out to the edge of the girders at the base of the tower. He stands there gazing out at Paris. I'm not afraid. 
He takes several steps back to get a running start. Okay, let's do this. He gazes at that invisible barrier and taking a flying horizontal leap. There's a feeling of impact, a loud noise. All is dark. Wait, open your eyes. He's on the ground. He's on the ground, on the grass, beyond the tower. He looks at his hands, his legs, his body. It's all there. He's all there. He throws his shoes and socks off and stands up just to feel the grass beneath his feet. Ah! It feels wonderful. He throws his shoes back on and he begins walking. He walks faster and faster. He breaks into a run and throws himself into Paris like a child diving into a pool on its summer vacation. Nobody notices him, but well, it's Paris after all. Nobody notices anybody. He's free, and as he runs, he looks behind him occasionally and he sees the Eiffel Tower getting smaller and smaller and farther and farther away. And he keeps on running until he's almost out of breath. And then he runs some more. What a beautiful world. He's got to go to Coco's, but there's some place he wants to stop on the way. It's on the Seine. And as he approaches the spot, there is a bridge, just like he's seen so many times in his fantasies, and his heart begins to pound. Could it be there? Beneath this bridge, will he find the rowboat he's imagined on so many of his janitor's nights? Nervously, he goes underneath. Thank you. Oh. It's there. Oh. <laughs> he gets down on his hands and knees and puts his head up against it as one would a large pet and puts his lips to the wood. And he gets up and strides out from under the bridge with a look of determination and strength. He is going to find Coco. And as he approaches Coco's building and goes up the stairs, he cannot think. It's all adrenaline now. He grows nervous and knocks on Coco's door. Don't you think that was a bit soft? Maybe you should knock again. Old people do nap. Uh, I'll wait outside. He is nervous. The janitor goes down the stairs and crosses the street sits down on a curb opposite the building so he can see Coco go in or come out. And as he sits there, watching the life on this little street, he's struck by how nice it all is. People walking by, the life behind all those windows and doors, and the hours pass quite quickly, and soon it is dark. All the windows light up one by one, and as the air grows colder outside, the glow behind them brings him a sort of warmth. Inside, he sees people having their dinner 
He can smell food, all kinds of food, coming from the houses and the restaurants on the avenue. Varieties of food enough to overwhelm the senses of a boy who's had nothing but stale chocolate croissants for as long as he can remember. I'm hungry. Somehow he knows that Coco isn't coming, at least not now, and he's got to find food, but what to eat? The janitor wants everything he smells. The janitor rises. Oh boy, I'm so hungry. He finds himself following his nose in search of the most delicious scents, following wherever his nose leads him. He pays no attention to where he's going or where he is. He's just happy to be there with his feet on the ground and gravity holding him. And after a long time, he's stopped. He looks up to see where his nose has led him, and he leaps back in shock. It is the all-night cafe, the one he dreamed of going to, with Jacques and Letitia and all the stagehands. His hand is on the door. He opens it up and goes inside. The hostess doesn't notice him standing there, but he sees a table across from him that's empty. He sits himself down. And only now does he realize what he's done. Since he left the tower, no one's noticed him. Well, it is Paris after all. But he realizes this is the moment that will test whether only certain people at the Eiffel Tower can see him. Or if everyone can. But the hostess isn't coming over. And the waiter isn't either. Which doesn't mean anything except terrible service. It is Paris. He looks at the couple at the table across from him. They don't see him. They're busy, glaring furiously at each other and refusing to speak, having just finished fighting. It is Paris, after all. The woman is pushing a bowl of matzo ball soup in front of the man, and he angrily pushes it away. And she pushes it toward him, and he nudges it away. And the two of them repeat this action over and over. She pushes it to him. He nudges it away. She pushes it to him. He nudges it away. She pushes it to him. He nudges it away, violently spilling some of the broth and gets up angrily and storms out of the restaurant. She rolls her eyes and follows. Well, the hostess didn't notice them either. The janitor stares hungrily at the matzo ball soup. The waiter still isn't coming over. A busboy walks by and doesn't notice him at all. His heart is pounding harder and harder. It's too soon. He can't take any more of this. He's not ready to find out. The janitor leaps up, walks up to the table across from him, grabs the matzo ball soup, being careful not to spill any, and walks with it as quickly as he can out of the restaurant and down the street. We will return in just a moment. Hi, I'm Drew, the narrator here on the Orbiting Human Circus. And I'm Alana. And we want to tell you about a book series we wrote together, Mightier Than the Sword. Mightier Than the Sword. Alana read that we're supposed to say the title at least eight times. Mightier Than the Sword. And we know, because you're listening to the Orbiting Human Circus, that you're really imaginative and creative and funny. And good looking. 
And that's why we decided to make you the main character of the book. Mightier than the sword. You are a real person in a fictional world. That makes you kind of a superhero, because whatever you write or draw or scribble down becomes a real fictional thing there. Yes, you actually get to write in the book. Which makes it problematic for libraries, but a great gift book. But because you're real, the danger you face is real. Luckily, you can draw the line between life and death with your mighty pencil. Mightier than the sword. And it's funny. Of course it is. It's starring you. Mightier than the sword. For kids of all ages. Mightier than the sword. Okay, I think I did it. Published by Penguin Random House. Available wherever books are sold. Mightier than the sword, just in case. We want to let you know about a show we think you're really going to like. It's called Passenger List, and it's a mystery thriller from PRX's Radiotopia. It tells the story of a missing plane, a cabin full of suspects, and a search for the truth about what happened. And, like any good thriller, it includes mental telepathy, global conspiracy, and an unhealthy splash of eco-terrorism. Passenger List stars Kelly Marie Tran as Caitlin Lay, a college student whose twin brother vanishes with the flight. Also, Colin Morgan, Rob Benedict, and the legendary Patti Lapone. You can binge all of season one of Passenger List now. Head to PassengerList.org or your favorite podcast platform to find out more and subscribe. We return to the streets of Paris to find the janitor with his face in a bowl of matzo ball soup. Quite literally, he forgot to steal a spoon. And my God, it's delicious. You forget, I can taste it too. It's the, uh, the vegetable stock. It's supposed to be the best matzo ball soup in Paris. Why do you know that? How do I know anything? What's the matter? Wasn't it delicious? It was so delicious. Then what's wrong? Oh, yes. The little matter of running away before you found out if you could be seen. Yeah. Yeah, that little matter. Well, whatever happened wouldn't have proven anything. I really don't think you're a ghost. You don't? Ghosts have a certain deportment. They're ethereal and elegant. They can pass through a room without knocking things over. Yeah, well, thanks. Thanks a lot. Oh, he wants to be a ghost now. The fickleness of youth. Well, Ghost of the Eiffel Tower does sound rather fantastic. Seriously, joking aside, what would be so bad about being a ghost? Think about it. What is it you're really afraid of? It's not being able to make things happen. Hmm. The janitor looks up at Coco's window. He puts down the bowl of matzo ball soup and stands up and goes up to the building and in. Reaching Coco's apartment, he knocks. And this time, loud enough. Coco? He finds himself trying the knob. It's unlocked. The door swings open. And before he knows what he's doing, he steps inside. What happened here? The apartment is in disarray. Coco clearly left in a hurry. But the janitor is overwhelmed by just how wonderful Coco's things feel. It feels just like Coco. There are beautiful manuscripts and books of poetry everywhere. And in the corner is an old and beaten mm. guitar with beautiful F-holes cut in it. On the walls are photographs of Coco with his old bandmates. Cool. Wow, he looked so handsome. Next to them is hung a map of Paris, 
That seems quite new. But for some reason... It reminds me of my toy tin Paris. The one given to him by his great-grandfather. The one that he'd shown a lorry. A quadrant of Paris is circled on it. And his heart rate speeds up just a little bit. But something on Coco's bedside table draws away the janitor's eye. On it is a framed picture of Coco's departed wife. And next to it, standing in a frame, is a picture of... How... Him! Up on the outer girders of the Eiffel Tower. It's from a distance, but it could only be... Him! He takes the picture up in his hand. <laughs> and looks at it with a big, goofy grin. But suddenly he hears something out in the hall. Somebody's coming! Footsteps are approaching! There's somebody on the stairs, and the janitor reddens from head to toe. How could he explain being in here, going through Coco's things? It's an invasion! The footsteps go past. The janitor puts the photograph down and gets out of there as quickly as he can. On the stairs, he breathes a sigh of relief. Reaching the bottom, he stops at the mailboxes. He's peering into the slot in Coco's. It's stuffed full of mail. At least several days' worth. Where has Coco gone? Tomorrow, I'm going to come back and knock on all the neighbors' doors. I'll ask. The janitor turns and walks back out into the night. He looks giddy, smiles a strange smile, and heads back towards the tower with tremendous purpose. I want to get there before it closes. His pace quickens until at last he breaks into a run. He makes his way across Paris and reaching the tower, he stops. He's made it. It's still open. The ticket booth is already closed for the night. It's still lit up. In it, one clerk remains doing closing work. And looking as if he were about to faint, crouching down, the janitor goes to the door of the ticket booth and hides behind it. He's leaning his head right up against the door. He turns white and begins saying something into the booth. And all at once the janitor spins around and runs off as fast as he can. Disappearing through the door of the tower, he runs up the stairs. Reaching the upper observation deck. He waits until the last of the tourists have left the building and enters the dark commissary and walks straight up to the heating vent. It's just above his height. He opens its little door and attempts to pull himself up into it. Oh, ow. Ah, ow. Again, it's not quite as easy in real life. But becoming a version of his fantasy self, he does manage to do it. He pulls himself up and squeezes himself inside. His legs can be seen dangling in the commissary and then they disappear. The janitor is afraid of getting stuck. It's very tight in there, but determined, he pushes on, climbing through the dark duct toward a sliver of light above. It is another vent. He pushes it open and tumbles out onto the floor. He's in a room, a beautiful room. It's very small. And there is a very small, upright piano across from him. This is Eiffel's apartment. The janitor stands up. It feels 
wonderful being in here. God, this is beautiful. It even smells nice. And it feels only right to the janitor that music should come from a room as cozy as this. It's just right. The janitor walks up to the door and unlocks it. He opens it and goes out into the night, leaving the door unlocked behind him. He dreamily looks out at the stars, which are incredibly bright. He strolls slowly now, and makes his way back to his closet. Yes, that about does it. I understand. You told the ticket booth clerk through the door that tonight Eiffel's apartment would be unlocked. It's your test. Let's find out if I can make things happen. He lies down on his cot and waits to find out if his scheme will work. One hour passes. A second hour passes. And then another. And another. No. He did not come. Julian, I want you to listen to me. You were talking through a door. He probably didn't hear you. But I'm proud of you, because you really tried. And even if it doesn't work the first time... Wait a minute. Wait. Listen. And the janitor sits back and closes his eyes and a gigantic smile spreads across his face and he loses himself in the music. And to him, the sound of that one piano sounds like a thousand orchestras. And he must have fallen asleep, because the music has stopped. And there is a knock at his closet door. And there is a voice. Hello. Hi. Sorry to bother you. I really wanted to thank you. It's, it's okay. Uh, my name is Nunnally. I'm Julian. I can, uh, I can unlock it for you every night. Really? Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good night, Julian. Good night, Natalie. And the janitor listens to the other boy's footsteps as they go off. His eyes are wide and he just lies there. But he cannot sleep. He's too excited. Then the janitor leaps up, dresses and goes out the door. He goes to the elevator. He never takes the elevator. He reaches the bottom goes out, walks right up to the edge of the girders, but stops. He turns around and looks at the ticket booth. He's walking up to it. He climbs on its roof. He's going in the heating duct. He's gotten into the ticket booth. He's taking something. He's tucked it into his jacket. He comes out the door, locks it behind him. He strolls right up to the edge of the girders, 
and goes out. He walks through Paris until he reaches a bridge, and beneath that bridge goes up to a rowboat and pushes it into the Seine and leaps into it. Floating down the Seine, he reaches into his jacket and pulls out a shiny silver microphone, the one they make the announcements with at the tower. It was this he borrowed from the ticket booth. It's an old fantasy of his, practicing into it. And now, I'm going to try to sing. The janitor stops, hearing his voice echoing off the banks of the Seine. He suddenly realizes that somebody might hear him, and he reddens with embarrassment. And then, he remembers that somebody does. And because of you, he isn't embarrassed anymore. And all we live, and all we know, and all we laugh together, and who alone sang how we sing, knew how we know, and all we'll ask forever is may we go. Casting from my boat in the middle of the sun. This is Julian. Wishing you a good night.
The Orbiting Human Circus and Naughty Till New Year's is a co-production of WNYC Studios and Night Vale Presents. Episode 13 featured Tim Robbins, Drew Callender, Julian Coster, David Barlow, and Andy Lauer. It was written and directed by Julian and produced by Christy Grussman, with musical composition and arrangement by Thomas Hughes and music by The Music Tapes. Lead editor Grant Stewart, editor Janelle Yee, and assistant editors Emily Marinoff and Jeff Tobias with Julian. Sound designed by Jonathan Siri Mose, foley by John Ringhofer, and lathe cutting by Steve Espinola. Engineering by Vincent Cascione, and additional production and mixing by Will Stanton. Music from the show is being released by Merge Records throughout the season. Look for it on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon, Bandcamp, or your favorite digital music service provider. Become a friend of the Orbiting Human Circus on Patreon at patreon.com slash orbitinghumancircus and follow us on Instagram at orbitinghumancircus or Twitter at orbitinghuman. For more information and full credits, go to orbitinghumancircus.com.